Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. The title of our lesson this morning is An Endless Supply. And I look at that fish and bread, you can't beat that, can you? Right? An endless supply. Uh, our objective is that we would draw near to Christ, especially when tough times come, and trust Him to be able to meet our every need. And, of course, it has to be according to His will. We'll be in St. John chapter 6, the first 21 verses. We've got two key truths this morning. Number one, the power of Jesus exceeds our needs. And number two, His power exceeds our circumstances. Jason, did we get, did you get a chance to get that video? I, I know I kind of sent you a late text on that or email. That ancient boat was really cool. Yeah, but you couldn't ride on it on the Sea of Galilee today. Let's get on a real boat. Let's All right. try this out. Being on the boat and passing as close as we did to everything gave great perspective to how close everything is. You know, when I'm reading through the Gospels and I read about Jesus going from Nazareth to Capernaum, or he goes from Capernaum around the, the side of the sea, in my mind, the spaces are so large, the distances are so large. But to be on the boat in one spot on the sea and do just a little bit of a quarter turn and see all those places, you get Capernaum and you get the Church of the Attitudes and you keep going around and there's Nafganosar with the ancient boat and there's Mount Arbel with the pass that he would have walked on the Roman road. Just to see all of that in a quarter turn puts into perspective how, how tightly everything is connected and how close it is. To be here just passing the Cove of the Sower, it's, just a, it's a Bible student geek out moment to see the natural amphitheater of the Cove. It helps you visualize why Jesus got in the boat and put out a little ways as he spoke up to the folks on the hill. It's hard to put into words being here and imagining that and seeing that in your mind's eye, not just reading it on a page and going, oh, yeah, that happened. But to understand the why. Anybody who's been reading through that and then you see it, that's a geek out moment. To stand here and get perspective of distances and elevations and contours and roads, and it helps the text come alive. These things really happen. It happened in this land, and hopefully we're able to communicate some of that to everybody else as they watch this. One of the boat drivers comes up and throws the net, and he shows us this is how they would have thrown a net when they were fishing in Jesus' day. So you've got Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen that would have fished like this. And then he offers, hey, would you like to throw the net? So yeah, you know, how often do you get a chance to do something like that? He should not quit his day job. I think on a scale from 1 to 10, my net throwing is like a 12. Still nothing for lunch. More falafel. <laughs> I'm Craig. And I'm Stu. And we're the founders of Appian Media. We really hope that you've enjoyed the content that you've just seen. This was only Dan, you were in... Have you been there? I was gonna, I, as I watched that video this morning before I came, I thought, well, about Dan, what do you think about it, Dan? How do you explain that? 
Can't do it. You know, we, we tend to forget it was in real time. Real people. And I, I thought about, you know, how many times I've read uh, the Beatitudes. And it was in this area, and Jesus got on that boat a little way from shore. And, but I never thought about that almost being like a natural, a natural amplifier that people could hear him speak. And, and to know that Christ came to touch real lives, and he did. And this is where our story today takes place around the Sea of Galilee. Um, wow. <laughs> does it help to see the context of what we're studying? It sure does. And we see, uh, you know, a film clip like that to show us that it, it indeed uh, was a real place. Well, today, if you know anything about John 6, the first 21 verses really, really talk about uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, we know that Christ did a lot of miracles while he was here on earth. Uh, those those uh, three and a half years of ministry for sure. And the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that all four Gospels write about. Uh, and that's, I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and by the way, there was another time he fed 4,000. Don't confuse the two. They're two separate times. Uh, so this particular incident... He fed about uh, 5,000 men. Also, uh, the latter part of John 6, we're not going to cover that. Uh, John joins this feeding of the 5,000 with the teaching later on the next day that Christ is the bread of life. Do you think there's a connection here? That's right. There is a connection, but uh, John kind of brings it together. But also he includes uh, the account of Jesus walking on the water uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, John, uh, Dan, did you walk on the water there while you were there? No, okay. I'm, I'm supposed. <laughs> but Jesus did, okay. And so again, John writes for us and gives us an important context for understanding uh, the all the overall purpose. Uh, especially of this miracle of providing uh, bread for 5,000. Now, uh, the Sea of Galilee, I did some research on that. I think it's about 13, 14 miles long and about 7 miles wide. Uh, it was also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And, and the reason that is, uh, that town was established on the western shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Herod Antipas is the one who commanded to be built. And he named it in honor of a sitting uh, emperor, uh, again, uh, called uh, <clears throat> Tiberius, if you will. Now, also understand, John is not writing this as it happens. He's already lived it, okay? And John's gospel is probably the last of the gospels to be written, probably around A.D. 85 to 95. So, Quite a, quite a bit of time after the events took place. Also understand, by the time uh, John wrote this gospel, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple has been torn down. Now again, as he lived it, it was still there. So some years have gone by, but by the time John's gospel came out, those who read it would certainly understand why it was called the Sea of Tiberias. Let's pick it up in John chapter 6. And let's read the first 15 verses, 
And the first thing we're going to find out is Jesus' power exceeds our needs. Somebody volunteer to read, please. Verses 1 through 15. Thank you, thank you, Dan. Okay, what's what's going on here? What's uh, first of all, it says after these things, and we're not going to take time to read it. But in John five, uh, Jesus was uh, he had a confrontation with some of the Jews and Pharisees, and they were questioning who he was and things like that. Uh, but now he travels across the Sea of Galilee, and wherever he went, what happened usually? And again, people followed him. And the Bible says a great multitude followed him. Why were they following him? Do what? Okay, so they wanted what? They wanted to see a miracle. Does that make you a Christian? No. Now, I'm not saying none of them were not true followers. But they were looking for miracle, a great multitude. They saw his miracle, which he did. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, in the Greek, that word did is continuous. He was continually healing people. And they realized that. And John says he went into a mountain and he sat there with the disciples. 
And again, I hope I, I'm not confusing the 4,000 with the 5,000, uh, but I think another gospel said they'd been there about three days. Uh, he was teaching. But at any rate, uh, the Feast of the Passover was, was near. And for whatever reason, Jesus chose not to go at that yet, not to travel down to Jerusalem yet. So he's still there up north. But he sees this multitude of people. And we know there's at least 5,000 people there. Now, uh, the other gospel mentioned not counting women and children. And we're not sure about that, but many scholars believe that very few women or children would have traveled that distance to begin with, but they may have. Uh, so some scholars believe there might have been as many as 10,000 people there on that mountainside. We're not sure about that, but still 5,000. How many of you would like to feed 5,000 this afternoon? Can you imagine that? Uh, that's also interesting, and I should have gotten a map, and I didn't do that. But there are about ten cities that kind of circle the uh, Sea of Galilee or the uh, Sea of Tiberias, however you want to call it there. And uh, one of them was Bethsaida. And Philip was from Bethsaida. So he was a local boy. So who does Jesus ask where to buy food from? He asked Philip. Again, why? Who would know? Philip would know. I mean, Philip would know where the McDonald's is at or whatever, you know. And so Jesus, and now again, we know Christ knew what he was going to do. But he asked Philip, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, by the way, bread is certainly a generic term for food. And certainly bread would have been a staple of that, without a doubt. The verse 6 said that Jesus said that to prove him or to test him. Now, this is uh, in the passive. He's not trying to trip him up. He's trying to help Philip make his faith strong. The same way he did for Abraham when he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. So, again, did Jesus already know what was going to happen? Sure he did. So, Philip, where can we go? To get enough food for these 5,000 men. So how did Philip answer him? He didn't say go down to McDonald's or go down to this market. (laughs) If we could find a place. If you sent me down there. And I took the other 11 disciples. Now, the King James says 200 penny worth, and I read that's eight months' wages. So, Jesus said, Philip, tell us a place. Philip says, tell us how. Right? How are we going to pay for all of this food? Now, notice very carefully there in verse 7. Philip said, eight months' salary would buy just enough for each one to have a taste. To have a little bit. And evidently, Andrew is nearby. He hears a conversation. And he, he said to the Lord, there's a little boy here. 
He has five barley loaves, and he's got two small fishes. Now, we don't know how this transpired exactly, but I think the indication here is the little boy showed Andrew, hey, I've got this. (laughs) One commentator said the miracle was the little boy hadn't eaten his lunch yet. (laughs) That could be true. And so Andrew says, okay, five barley loaves. Now, I, I doubt they were like a loaf of bread we have today, that big or whatever. Probably small, individual serving loaves. Again, I'm not sure about that, but not very big at all. And two small fishes. So what was Andrew's question about that? Do what now? Yeah, I mean, we got, but what good is this? What good is this among 5,000 people? How many remember the uh, Y2K scare? Huh? <laughs> we were doing work on a guy's house, and he had bottles of water stored in his, he didn't really have a, they had a cellar, the old kind of cellar, you know. It was, it was under the house, but it was just a rock wall and hard to get into it. He had water down there and some kind of dried food. And, uh, I said, Bob, you're crazy. They're going to shoot you for that food. If it happens, you ain't going to live. So why store it in your house? Now you got 5,000 hungry people here. Could you imagine holding up those five loaves and three, uh, two fishes? Come and get it. What's going to happen? Ah, you're going to have a riot on your hand. So Jesus, after speaking with Philip, after Andrew telling him about the five loaves and two fish. Uh, by the way, one, one, somebody once said, well, those weren't small loaves. They were big enough to feed 5,000. The fish were big enough. Well, the miracle is how could the boy carry it then, right? So, you know, people don't want to believe in miracle. But anyway, so what does Jesus tell the disciples to do with the men? Make them sit down. <laughs> now, the other gospels tell us that Jesus had them, you know, sit down in groups of 50. Of course, it would make it easier to distribute the food. Uh, but make them sit down. Uh, now, again, if you didn't make him sit down and you announced in aisle three there's food, if they're not sitting down, what are they probably going to do? Have a right. They're going to all head to aisle three. So Jesus says, tell them to sit down. But again, the question is, how can we meet this need? What does Jesus want us to learn about that? Ah, yeah, we can't, but he can. We cannot, but he can. So all they had 
in the way of food was a lunch a little boy had packed. Now, my question is, Jesus asked the question. Was he really looking for an answer? Yeah. He knew it was an impossible question. He wasn't looking for an answer. What he's doing, he's setting the stage here. He's setting himself up as the answer. He is the answer. And really, as the answer to an even more important question. Would you agree there was an immediate need here? Yes. Now, in spite of the fact that it was a physical, temporal need, Jesus was willing to meet that need. But Jesus also knew what he would be teaching the very next day. That he was the bread of life. And he realized they, those people there, needed to see his miraculous power on display to prepare them for the need they had for his power to save and satisfy their soul. And by the way, part of the Lord's prayer is to give us this day what? Our daily bread. Nothing wrong with that. But my friend, Jesus says there's, there's an important need, more important than that. And that's the satisfying of your soul. He told the woman at the well, I will give you water where you never thirst again. Living water flowing out of your belly. They're sitting down, groups of 50. Now, by the way, did Jesus tell the little boy, take your fish and your bread and go sit down? No. The little boy brought a little, and Jesus took and used what he had. Did he not? Now, think about this. I don't know how he did this, necessarily, but he took those five loaves and those two small fishes. And he divided it among the disciples and said, do what? Pass it out. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? So what did they do? Thank you, Dan. What do you say? They just passed it out. And how many know all Jesus expects from us is to do what he says? First miracle, turning the water into unpermitted wine. Oh, Jason's not listening. At the uh, wedding of Canaan, his mother said, whatever he tells you, do it. So they began to pass it out. Now remember, they passed it out to who? How many? 
five, over 5,000 people probably, but at least 5,000. Okay, this group of 50, this group of 50, you know, they keep moving on. They get all done. And once they passed out the last bit, that was all they had. Is that what the Bible says? They were leftovers. How many? Baskets. Twelve baskets of leftovers. Remember, Jesus has the power to exceed our needs. Now, could he have made it just enough? Sure he could. Do what now? Uh, probably not, but remember we talked about but some years ago. It negates what you just said. Many believe it was significant there were 12 apostles. It could have been. Uh, I think the most important thing is Jesus is more than enough. Now, by the way, Dan, you read it a moment ago. And the Bible says there in our text that uh, the 50,000 saw what he did. They recognized the miracle. And they began to trust him, to believe on him. Now, Jesus realized there's a problem here. In fact, he realized that the miracle he just performed would cause those gathered there to try to take him and make him king. So in verses 14 and 15, the Bible says Jesus moved away from the crowd. He moved away from the crowd. Why? Say it again. Okay, but why? You what now? Okay. There, it wasn't his time. You weren't afraid of them. It just wasn't his time. So who, do, who determines the time, men or God? God does. And yes, you're right. They were going to take him. They're going to make him king. But it simply wasn't his time. If you'll notice, as we, as you study the New Testament whether Jesus or the apostles, any time they did a miracle, there was a purpose. Even more than the actual healing or the feeding here, for example, there was a deeper purpose. Now, again, when Jesus asked Philip, when Andrew got in the conversation, he already knew what he was going to do. But he also knew that the next day these same crowds would gather again. And for the most part, 
they were probably looking for another miracle or another meal. And here's what is important. Yes, they needed food for that day. They were hungry. But what was their greater need? Yes, they needed a Savior. And folks, Jesus knows our true need even when we don't. And He desires to meet our true need. He did that in chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He did it with Nicodemus in John 3. And the list goes on and on and on. And even though it's not part of our text today, beginning of verse 22 to 59, he got to the heart of the purpose for the miracle. The miracle was to show them that Christ could meet their needs and especially their spiritual need. To show them the next day, based on that miracle, that he indeed is the bread of life. So feeding the 5,000, without a doubt, with physical bread, Christ did it to meet a, a real need. They were hungry. But he used that same miracle to open the door to a meeting a greater need. And Wayne, you said it right, a need for spiritual food. Salvation of their souls, being right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you study the Gospel of John, you'll find that satisfying the souls of men and women with the bread of life is a key theme when Jesus explained the Gospel. Later on in John 6, Jesus prophesies about the method this symbol will become a reality. He would tell them that my that his flesh was the bread that he would give so the world can live. And even when we celebrate communion in Matthew 26, Luke 22, that bread is a symbol of the life that God gave for us. So what need in our life can God meet? But what if it's a, this is a small one? He can meet that. He can meet the small ones and the large ones and every need in between. And the great news is God cares about it all. He cares about it all. And if you're like me, and I can only speak about myself, I tend to depend on God for the bigger needs, but I think I can handle the small one myself. 
when will I learn I need God's power for all of it? I need the power of God for all my needs. And there are times, and you know that by now, the problems in our lives are overwhelming. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Peter said we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Same English word for care, but two different Greek words. You can cast your anxiety, that's the first word, your worries, your problems on Jesus. You know why? He's got big shoulders. And he truly cares for you. He cares about your need. Lord, teach me that. Embed it within my heart. That I would allow you to work through my problems the only way you can and according to your will. Does that mean that every one of our problems will always be miraculously solved? No. No. But it does mean that God can do more than we can think or imagine. And he's good at what he does. He cares about all of our needs, the tangible ones, the temporary ones. And he can use those needs to help us meet our greatest need. And that's our need for his glory, his purpose, and his presence in our everyday lives. There is no doubt that God is a miracle-working God. Let's apply it. God's power and care for us are not limited to certain areas of our life. He cares about every area of our life. Well, we've looked at him feeding the 5,000. They had some left over. So the question for discussion is this. What do we learn from this account about Jesus, his ability to meet our needs? What do we learn? Why, Dan? Yes. Now think about this. And I'm not berating Philip or even Andrew. From a human standpoint, feeding the 5,000 was what? Impossible. Couldn't be done. I mean, there was, I mean, you couldn't do it. Anybody uh, breathing here today? Hope you are, right? 
Is your heart beating? I hope it is. Do you realize that comes from him? All we have comes from him. So number one, Jesus' power exceeds our needs. Number two, his power also exceeds our circumstances. Anybody want to read verse 16 through 21? Okay, they've had the meal. Christ had withdrawn from the crowd. Went up on a mountain somewhere. And what do the disciples do? Do what now? Yeah. Go down to the sea, get in the boat. And they leave. And again, remember there were about ten towns around the lake. They're heading toward Capernaum. So Christ is on the mountain. They're on the boat. So they started across that sea without Jesus, the Sea of Galilee. Now I read that, I hope that that this is from our study guide that for a quarterly, but the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. And it's sort of uh, in a midst of a bunch of hills in a bowl-like shape. And because of the terrain of the hills, and because the temperature varies over the land and water, as the sun goes down, uh, cooler air begins to feed into the lower area over the lake from the west. And so, that being said, they're rowing here on this boat toward Capernaum, and they are rowing into the wind, and how was their progress? Very slow. Very slow. Now Matthew and Mark tell us it was during the fourth watch of the night, around between 3 and 6 a.m. And the wind by this time had become probably stronger. And uh, they only managed to travel about three or four miles. Now, again, the trip was only about six between Bethsaida and Capernaum by boat. So there they are. The winds are blowing hard. It's dark. You think they were tired? Yeah. The weather was bad. And there they are, kind of stuck in the middle of the lake. So what was their circumstances? Good or bad? 
Yeah. And they knew it. But wait a minute. Jesus is on the mountain. He's not in the boat with him. But what happens? He comes walking to them on the water. And the Bible says he calmed their fears. How many know that no matter where we are, no matter how far away, no matter matter how awful the circumstances, Jesus can still get to us. He knows where we are. And his power has no limits. The rough seas, the darkness, the winds didn't stop Jesus from getting to the disciples. And the things that were that caused the difficulty for them was it was it a problem for Jesus? No. Yeah. Now, you know, you have to think about this, folks. Because uh, I, I couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. But if the sea was calm. But it wasn't. The winds and the waves were boisterous. And here he comes, walking on the water. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Yeah. And you know what else he cared about those disciples? He is all we need every day of our lives. All right, they've been rowing as hard as they could. Probably traveled about two miles all the farther they got. They got four more to go. But notice in verse 21. John says, as soon as he stepped into the boat, immediately they were at land. Just like that. And so, he came walking in the water, and somehow, well, miraculously, by the power of Jesus, right away, they were transported to their destination. Think about that. What can God do? Anything and everything. So, bad circumstances. But Christ came and he transforms their circumstances. And I've got news today, folks. If he can do it for them, guess what? He can do it for us. Rhonda, you do not have the authority to ring that bell. Is that the first bell, Rhonda? Okay, so. Now, by the way, his presence in our lives does that. Now, sometimes it may mean a literal change of our surroundings. Sometimes it involves changing who we surround ourselves with. 
where we go, how we spend our time. But understand, the closer we draw to God, the greater this transformation is. Jesus wants to transform our lives. Remember the time when Paul and Silas were in prison? They were stocks. They were locked in in the lowest part of the prison. And at midnight, what did they do? Say what? Before that, what were they doing? Yeah, worshiping God. <laughs> and then what happened then? The earthquake. Now think about the Apostle Paul, no matter what, no matter what his lot in life was, he realized he had a clear purpose. And his purpose was God given. And so even through all the circumstances, he trusted God for the outcome. So my question this morning is. When Jesus stepped into the boat, did it make a difference? Yeah. And folks, if we could just see Christ in the midst of our turmoil, it'll transform the way we think. We have his word to guide us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And my question, I guess, is, Who knows the best path for our life? Jesus does. Let's apply it. Jesus is with us even through the worst of circumstances. He can take us, God can take us where we are, from where we are to wherever we need to be. And so the key here is, for all of us, is to draw near to Jesus, even in tough times. And the Bible gives us a promise. We, if we draw near to Him, guess what? He will draw near to us. How many know that Satan wants to steal our hope? Sure, he does. He wants to fill our lives with despair. Especially when we're going through trying times. How much time I got left, Jason? Okay. I have a challenge this morning for all of us. Whether you do it mentally or write it down. Make a list of the big and small things, needs you're praying for. Take a, a special time during the day to pray about those needs. 
And when you pray, remind yourself that God can meet any need according to his will. More than enough. An endless supply. Let's stand, if you will. Next week, John 11, death defeated. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Father, I'm so glad that I know who the bread of life is. And yes, Lord, I've eaten that bread and drank that blood. And Christ is my Savior, and I praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each.